Tim, and you've also got Lachlan. Howdy. And Ruben. Oh yeah. Uh, beverage of choice. I'm going to let Ruben go first this evening. I think you're just pouring your drink. What have you got there? Yeah, I'm halfway through <laughs> pouring it. Uh, Vickers London Dry Gin. Ooh, Vickers London Dry Gin. The Vickers Gin. from Audi. <laughs> Fair enough. How no, about, good. How about you, Lachlan? Yeah, um, I've uh, got something a little different. Gin and tonic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a uh, Italian um, grapefruit, and it's actually super duper smooth. Uh, it's called Malfi. It's really really nice. Okay. It doesn't get like that grapefruit sharpness, or no? It's mm, just... It goes like perfectly with the tonic water. It's pretty good nice and fresh nice very good uh, what about you big man once again i mean what was the name of that pirate in uh, pirates of the caribbean that sold sailed the ship that goes underwater and stuff jack sparrow Remosa? or the other guy the no i don't know release the kraken that's what i'm drinking yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the leader bottle is it no, it's not the leader bottle. If it was, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> That's the old bottle, which is for those listening is almost empty. Uh, yeah, you no, have I've... people like, listening in podcast land, like yelling the name of that ship's captain, which none of us can think of. I know who yeah. you mean, octopus face. That's the guy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's the guy. Baby um, Jones. Ah, oh, there you go. Thank you. How did we not know that? I know. <laughs> Well, it's been a while, and I think the last few times I've heard the uh, parts of the Caribbean sort of storylines, it's been through playing Sea of Thieves. So, which um, the first... Oh, did you guys play that? That first chapter was painful. I started playing it, and I thought, this thing's massive, and I didn't sink the time into it. <laughs> mm. Did you do that first quest? I really quest liked, I liked yeah, it was... It, Boring. I like the music though. The atmosphere was quite great, but that was about mm. all I could say for it. Yeah, I found the and then the remember we tried to do the second one, Ruben, with the girls one night, and um, <sighs> we bugged it somehow, and it was like couldn't oh, finish it. We turned it off or we play for another hour <laughs> just to get we back like, up to nah. where we were up to. Yeah, and that was about the end of it. Yeah, <laughs> that was a hard pass after that. Anyway, back to what matters. <laughs> Um, so we did Plato's Cave last week. Uh, mm. That was heaps of fun. I've had a few conversations about it through the week, and sort of spent some time just chewing on that a bit more. Have you, have either of you guys thought about that much this week? Uh, off and on, sort of popped up. Yeah, it's. Um, I think just because you know it's one of those texts that people, you know sort of hold up on that sort of pedestal so it you know always bears I think a bit more sort of thought as you go mm. how about you Rune? yeah man totally I've really been chewing on that idea of the particular being obsessed with the particular versus you know the, the, the actual reality that's above that um, but there's a passage in this week's uh, uh, text that made me think oh hang on maybe I should dial it back a bit maybe I don't know what I'm talking about ooh so we'll get to that. Are you are you starting to take the Socratic way out of just oh, I don't really know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, not exactly. Well, anyway, right? That's <laughs> what you're doing. Cool. Yeah, maybe that's the right way. All right. Well, let's do a recap of last week. 
Uh, who's going to do that? You know what, Rubes? I reckon you should do the cave because you did it really well the uh, last week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, right. I can do it. Then you can I'll do wing it. I'll do it. Yeah. Well, get, well, we did a quick summary, right? So it was prisoners um, inside a cave, chained up, where they could only see the back wall of the cave, right? Behind them um, was like a walkway where people could walk past and further back still was a, uh, a fire and the fire would um, illuminate objects that people were carrying on their heads on this walkway behind the prisoners and the shadows of that would play on the wall in front of the prisoners. So the prisoners' reality, because they couldn't turn their heads and couldn't see or understand anything, their reality was the shadows that they could see on the wall and they would play a game to sort of guess what shadow was coming up next and um, that was kind of like how they would sort of, I don't know, pat each other on the back and have hierarchy and status in their, in their world. Um, at some point in time, a, one of the, the prisoners escapes and um, turns around and makes his way or was he escaped or is he made to look that way? I can't quite remember what the, the deal was. And he sort of heads up out of the cave and um, sort of brought into the light, I guess. And um, it stings his eyes and uh, he can't even look up to sort of see the sun or anything like that because he spent his whole life in the cave, right? And as he's sort of like looking at reflections of, because he can't even, you know, see things in the full brightness, he's just like looking at the reflections. And even from seeing the reflections, he can realise that his reality that he knew in the cave was a, a fallacy and uh, it's ridiculous, and uh, I think at some point in time they're sort of saying he gets his face sort of held into the light even though it's sort of painful and then he can sort of eventually, you know, his eyes can start to adjust and he may be able to sort of see, you know, the sun for, uh, you know, all its glory and its in its truth and, and its uh, whole form rather than uh, being reflected or, uh, you know, seeing other sort of representations or images but seeing the true form. Um, which is, you know, goodness in, in, this, in this story. Um, and then he has to sort of return down from um, basking in the light of goodness to return to the cave and uh, tells his fellow prisoners about what he's seen. And uh, they all think he's mad. And uh, because once he's returned, you know, his eyes are used to the brightness now. Uh, he can't even sort of uh, determine what the shadows are on the walls because, you know, his eyes aren't used to the to the darkness anymore so he can't even see the old reality now that he's seen the new reality and uh the other prisoners are so shocked by all this anyway that you know they'll threaten to kill him if uh they're going to uh if he's going to try and free them to show them the real reality or his version of reality was that about it boys yeah, yeah nailed it that's pretty good probably took too long yeah i think that's pretty <laughs> right i would just add that uh the uh the within that analogy the idea is there's different levels of knowledge inside the cave the shadows are essentially the material world and the particulars i.e looking at a dog or a tree or whatever um so just what the senses can give you like hearing and sight and taste and smell and then um out and then the fire that casts those shadows is supposed to be the sun so everything inside the the cave is is material reality and then outside the cave 
in Plato, Plato's system of thought is essentially what you would call ultimate, ultimate reality, the real truth of things. So what mm-hmm. you see in the cave are just reflections or, or ideas that um, come from the actual forms which exist outside the cave. Yeah. yeah, and I think even outside the cave, you know, they talk about, um, you know, to start with, you can only look at the reflections of things. So you, you, it, it's all sort of like uh, giving you that impression of the, the journey to enlightenment. And, oh, um, yeah, big time. Yeah, that's a good yeah, point. Yeah, and so you, you can't just sort of, uh, you know, step out of the cave and have it. It's still a process and something you're sort of working through. So, you know, to start with, yeah. it's so bright out there. All you can do is look at the reflections in like some water or something rather than looking at the... The, the real sun and all its glory. Yeah, so to speak. and it's in, the, it's in the context of Plato trying to explain why philosophers are the best and why they should rule everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so uh, the idea being that uh, the person who should rule society should be the one that understands truth in its highest form, I guess is kind of the best way to see it, which is why he explains that sometimes people go back into the cave, they've seen the truth, they come back into the cave and they can't function. People think they don't function well in society. They think they're not that, they think there's something wrong with them. And, um, and as Lachlan pointed out, sometimes they, uh, basically threatened to kill them because they don't really fit in um, which is a long-winded explanation from Plato uh, and from Socrates why people don't like him <laughs> <laughs> no not only why they don't like him but why why the philosophers the so-called philosophers of his day, philosophy has sort of come into disrepute in his day and that was his explanation for why um, so yeah it's yeah. a really multi-layered multi-layered analogy that explains a whole bunch of different things mm. yeah and uh, in addition to that, after the, the cave, we talked about some uh, math stuff with some funny uh, f- finger examples that he uh, was giving us about. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> he, that's right. He, he walks into, he talks into like, well, now I've given you my analogy and we agree that philosophers should be the kings. And now we're going to talk about what kind of education they should undergo. And he said, the first thing he came up with math. And then the, I think what we hook into now uh, for the reading this week is... The other things that he says um, should be part of their education, yeah. So, so that, which is, which is so, good because I remember a while back when we, we went through the book earlier, um, it, they were talking about all these tests, like how you could know who's going to be the leader. They have to undergo all these tests. Well, this is kind of this section is kind of explaining how that sort of functions. Hmm. It also just sort of shows the the long game that uh, Socrates sort of plays because you know he, <laughs> he, he thought about all this stuff and it's just. You know, teasing it out of him. You should say just before we continue too, like the deal with the maths was that uh, they sort of ascertained that the um, the guardians need to be a combination of sort of like warrior and philosopher and that the study of arithmetic, because I should be specific, it wasn't maths, it was arithmetic, um, yeah. is going to help you to like arrange your troops in war as well as encourage your intelligence to seek truth. So... It was to have those two sort of benefits they were talking about and that uh, the idea is that by having this sort of baseline education about this science that wants you to sort of seek truth, that'll be sort of like a parallel for your learning in philosophy and that you'll look to seek truth in, uh, in philosophy because that's how you've been sort of programmed with your education anyway. And I, I think the link there was that because math involves some, um, where it's like abstract and um, intangible kind of things. And so that's a concept, obviously, that's common in philosophy. Um, so rather yeah. than looking again at those, you know, fingers that are in front of you, you, you're 
sort of maybe thinking outside the box about some other possibilities. Maybe we don't even have fingers. Maybe they're tentacles. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, in his in his uh, epistemology or his system of thought, that's like the next step up in knowledge. Yeah, it's like you have you have two mm. coconuts, but the truth of that idea is the concept of two, which is above the material coconuts. I like yep. coconuts. And is a coconut even a nut? The answer is no. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, so, so this week we sort of moved on from there, right? Well, well, we sort of moved on and then backwards because we're still talking about maths, aren't we? Well, we actually, yeah, Socrates yeah. actually does that. He, he, there's a point here. Where we, we won't go into that much detail, but he sort of, I think he goes, he goes, what does he do? He goes, maths, or he goes, arithmetic, geometry, music, or something. And he goes, oh, wait, wait, we missed something in geometry. And he goes back to geometry. <laughs> anyway, yeah. like it's a bit of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he pulls back into geometry, which is kind of funny, but um, we're talking about it. I think it's kind of hard for us to imagine because. Um, you know, the kind of math they're talking about in here is the stuff that kids do in primary school now. I, mean, I guess we take it for granted, um, like where that knowledge maybe came from. And, you know, we're talking about here, um, you know, finding the area or volume of cubes and things like that is what he's kind of talking about. And um, that that's like kind of cutting edge math at this point in time. Um, so it's interesting to sort of hear them talking about this stuff um, yeah, just in our modern context, it's just something we take for granted now, I think. Um, but I think basically yeah, right. the idea is that, you know, with the, the math stuff too, it's about, I think he makes some comment there about people who are good at maths are just generally intelligent and, um, you know, quick to pick up other bits of learning and all that sort of thing. And that's why they wanted to kind of throw that into the uh, curriculum. But, but I wasn't yeah. quite sure because... You know, they were kind of putting that framework around it that, you know, the the point of putting this stuff in here was that it was going to sort of uh, always have that purpose of drawing you towards, you know, truth and the eye of the soul and all this sort of thing. But I wasn't quite sure how geometry was going to get them there. Um. <laughs> uh, I think yeah. I think it's a double, well, particularly with the arithmetic link, they see it as a double purpose. They're like, yeah, sure. it, it will foster the mind but it will also sort the men from the boys so to speak so the leaders can look and go all right well that guy can't even count to 10 he's out um yeah. you know that sort of stuff they can sort of start to see and then when they go into geometry it's a similar sort of thing but yeah i, I agree I, I got a bit lost on the geometry bit and they talk about solid geometry versus um yeah, well, it was kind versus of like plain geometry plain. and solid geometry which i think essentially is like uh like a dumb Dumb, ver dumb way to say it would be like your yeah, 2D geometry like you have on a paper versus 3D geometry, as in, you know, yep. 3D objects, spheres and volume and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, like I, I think, I, I kind of think, oh yeah, go for it. I was going to say, at any rate, it kind of just seems like they sort of say, yeah, that's similarly good in for the same reasons that math is and we should work that in there. But sorry, you were about to say something? Uh, look, I just grabbed a little snapshot from what they had there and I guess that might sort of sum up what they're talking about there. Um, that the knowledge at which uh, geometry aims is knowledge of the eternal and not of aught perishing and transient. So not stuff that's going to, you know, pass on by. So just the eternal. Uh, that he replied may be readily allowed and is true. Then my noble friend, geometry will draw the soul towards truth and create the spirit of philosophy 
and raise up that which is now unhappily allowed to fall down. Nothing will be more likely to have such an effect. And nothing should be more sternly laid down than that the inhabitants of your fair city should by all means learn geometry. Moreover, the <laughs> science has indirect effects, which are not small. So I'm not quite sure why this is so important, but uh, anyway, they, they seem to be pretty passionate about the fact that geometry is key to this. So, uh, <laughs> well, well, yeah, once yeah again, I think these days the wouldn't whole... it be a case of like someone saying that physics is king? Like at, at, maybe at their point in time, it was the hierarchy of math and at the, at the top, sorry, of the hierarchy of math. It's a cutting edge for their time. Yeah. So like now Physical. it might be, you know, quantum physics. I think so, but whatever. I think for that to work as like a direct, a direct analogy he would basically be saying um physics is important because it doesn't just look at a rock falling it looks at the principles behind the rock falling those principles don't change therefore they're eternal as opposed to the rock itself which is just a particular yeah with that and then it's also because that's sort of uh hard to sort of like it's something that you would have to think about you know what i mean you can't just observe it and know it's true yeah you gotta be capable of that higher order thinking yeah 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 Yeah, fair enough all right so arithmetic and geometry are on the list and tick (laughs) yes and then they move on to astronomy yeah which is funny this is funny as hell actually yeah (laughs) So I, I like this part. So um, Glaucon's like, oh yeah, astronomy, that's like, that's king and it makes you look up. And uh, Socrates is like, no, it makes you look down. Because uh, <laughs> I think that's <laughs> really funny. Um, yeah. I think uh, I, I've got a, a signed thing here of, um, you can see it up in the back corner there of uh, Brian Cox. I've got... Actually, this Professor is interesting. Brian I'm Cox. glad you're bringing this up. I'd be really yeah, interested so, to hear what you have to say here because, yeah, this this occurred to me as well. Go, go, go. So he's on famous know, for looking up in the sky and staring off with a boyish look on his face um, because that's like the story of our life is found in the stars and and uh, it's like the highest thing uh, scientifically that they're looking for. And um, I think Plato is like, no, nah, I mean, that's, that's still just... You're still just looking at the pencil, you know, or the object. You're not actually thinking about the principles behind it, and um, I, I think that's kind of right. Like in that, um, uh, so like obviously Professor Brian Cox does look at the physics behind the stars, yeah, but he gets his joy from observing the stars, not just from the principles of what controls those stars and how those stars were formed. And I think Glaucon does make that distinction. He's like, oh, if you look up at the stars, that's like, that's what you're talking about. That's the highest level. And he's like, no, no, you nah. still don't get it. It's what's behind them. It's the laws that yeah. apply to those stars and to the heavens. Um, well, I actually think Socrates is saying that there's another level above that. But yeah, well, I think so. But I think he's doing, I think he's like, what was the example we were saying before of like the, the, the physical objects? Like of the the model yep, car, the particular. I think I think like this model car, the example we used the other day. I think Socrates is saying that the entire heavens is the same as a car, <laughs> like that. It's still just the physical. It's not actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. The things behind yeah. the physical. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and it's sort of like uh, I think Glaucon's sort of trying to tie it into the fact that just by looking heavenwards as well, it's kind of a spiritual thing and naturally sort of linked in with philosophy because it's pr- prompting deeper thought or something like that, which um, it's just funny that um, Socrates is kind of like hanging a bit of shit on him because it's it's actually Socrates <laughs> who brought it up and then <laughs> he just kind of smashes Glaucon on it. But uh... Well, that's, yeah. that's very interesting because there's a really, really famous painting called The School of Athens and the two central figures within that painting is uh, supposed to be Plato and Aristotle. Or it might be Socrates and Aristotle. At any rate, and in the painting, you've got Plato looking up and pointing to the sky. Mm. And you've got Aristotle next to him pointing down and arguing. And apparently that's supposed to be like a really profound explanation of their two philosophies. Because, you know, Plato was very much like, you can't just look at the physical world and there's something above it. Whereas Aristotle apparently Mm. brought a lot more back down to earth. Is that Um, the one that was done by Raphael? Is that the one you mean? Uh, it's done by someone. I have a wallpaper. Yeah, I, think it's, oh, no, I think I actually have that as my wallpaper on my <laughs> computer. I'll see if I can share. Yeah, it's, it. a, it's a fresh, fresh, fresco by Raphael. It was painted in 1509 and 50, between 1509 and 1511. It's in the Vatican somewhere. The room's now known as Stanze de Raffaello. All right. Was that was that was that good pronunciation? Hmm. Not bad, man. Not bad. Yeah. So that's them two. Anyone that's watching, it's them two dudes in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it will tell us if it's the central figures are supposed to be. I'm guessing it's Plato and uh, the central figures are Plato and uh, Aristotle. Yeah, that's it. There you go. Nice one. Nice one. But. Uh... Yeah, so I think like more or less you've got uh, Socrates says that basically if you're just using your eyes to look at it, you're doing it wrong. Um, this is basically <laughs> what he kind of gets down to. Um, it's it's interesting, yeah, because I think yeah he's just talking about more about understanding the the, the movement and the, the the sort of science behind it rather than just kind of like looking at the stars and the moon and all that sort of stuff and I don't know being able to tell when you should plant your crops or something. It's yeah, he's like that's all good and well, but that's that's not the highest level of knowledge according to him. Just a side For note, sure. too, when when I was showing you guys that screenshot, which I'll do again right now, I was like talking myself up, like, "Oh, look at that! I did that on the fly, and how cool is that?" And I was muted the whole time. <laughs> like, Go <"Don't> my podcasting <laughs> skills. <laughs> uh, Technical power. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm all over this, and then oh, they can't hear me. <laughs> but you did just throw in an image without doing it in post production, so that's that's yeah. Impressive. I was pretty happy with that's that. Pretty happy. <laughs> not bad, not bad. <laughs> it beats holding up a model car to the camera. Sure. Oh well, hang on. <laughs> What's wrong with holding up this this fine replica yellow Triumph Stag, 1973 Stag? <laughs> There you go. It's beautiful. I miss I miss that car, by the way. Okay, James Bond drove one in Diamonds of Forever, so it can't be too bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know right, if his so car that's... selection is always the best benchmark, but it's all good. <laughs> There's been some doozies in there. For sure. So anyway, yeah, so... Um, they, they basically call out what about the stars and then they bag out the stars and then they go yeah but then they should still study the stars um, yep. 
You're right. That is pretty funny familiar. though. Glaucon's like, Glaucon's like, yeah, I got this. I got this. And Plato's just like, I mean, Socrates is just like, nah. <laughs> nah. I mean, he does. He does actually sort of point out the fact that uh, you know, uh, Glaucon's view is pretty commonly held, and that uh, yeah. Socrates is sort of trying to be somewhat humble about it. But you know, it's a bit of a humble brag. It's like, yeah, like most people think that, but you know, maybe this is actually what it should be about. <laughs> And, uh, I, I, I still like the fact that I mean Socrates obviously realizes that people are going to hate him no matter how he sells this shit. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it is something that uh, does trigger the mind looking up at the stars. Um, oh, I agree. Yeah, and, and you know a lot of the um, a, a lot of the things that I've read have been inspired by that you know and a lot of the sci-fi that we enjoy um is inspired by those ideas and it's um mm. yeah it definitely well, is magnificent to look at that's for sure agreed yeah i've got a question i got a sorry go oh i was just saying which he doesn't deny like yeah yeah, yeah. Like, so it's, what's what's it says yeah looking up at the spangled sky uh, it's beautiful yeah absolutely what's what's your I question have a, Ruben? i have a question um I don't know how interesting whether you find this as interesting as I do, but what do you think um, Socrates' response would be to a modern-day physicist who looks up at the sky with that awe and then mm. says, you know, that star is made up of these chemicals and these compounds, and I know that because X, Y, Z, and isn't that amazing? That's a great question. What do you... What do you what do you think Socrates' response would be that? Would it be the same as his response was to Glaucon? I don't know. I mean, he, he is sort of, um, he's somebody who does appreciate science and maths, right? And, and intelligence. And I think um, he may well sort of say there, you know, there is a physical element or something like that. I mean, he may well have some like, uh, you know, barb about there being more to it than perhaps what you, you know, what you mean mortal can perceive or something but uh I'm, I'm sure just quietly you know like he sort of talks about the uh um pythagorean mathematicians or something with some respect i'm sure he'd have respect for it as well right do, do you think he'd ask questions so for example let's let's just play this out a little bit so ruben you're saying we know that it's this star because and and it's made of these um materials so I think he'll go. Oh, how do you know it's made? Like, so let's just say, let's pick a, let's pick a, a thing. Let's say, oh no, what's a thing? It's an asteroid. No, but let's like, what's what's it made out of? Yeah, iron, know, helium. Iron. It's a, it's a, well, it's a helium star or something. All right. So okay. So then you go. Oh, how do you, how do you know it's helium? And uh, you'd say, well, helium burns this color. Do you think he? Do you think he wouldn't ask? Well. Is it possible that something else could also burn that color? Do you think no, that would be I... his line of re- questioning, and they'd, they'd be, and their answer might be, "Well, that's the only thing that burns that color," and you'd be, but maybe there's something over there that hasn't been here yet, which we don't know. So, how do you know it's that? Like, maybe it's yeah. something else that burns the same color. I think you, you think would almost apart like that, or I think you would almost certainly ask those questions. But I think when you look at the cave analogy i i think he would still be basically saying yeah that's amazing but you're still just looking at shadows on the wall 
Well, that's just no matter like how well you can. Opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, Are we but, going with oh, the shadows oh, on the wall? So, in the analogy, you've got you know the shadows on the wall, and everything inside the cave is the physical universe. So, no matter how good they get at describing the shadows. Um, and even if they stand up and turn around and see the fire and see what's causing the shadows, they still don't see the ultimate reality that's outside the cave because it's because in his analogy, inside the cave is physical reality, the physical world. So it's still mm. all just particulars. So I've, I've got a way to expand the question. What do you think he would say to Carl Sagan? Um, he wrote a really, he's a, a famous atheist and he wrote a famous, some bunch of famous books. But one of his major quotes is, we're all made of stardust. Um, I'm curious what Plato or what Plato and our, uh, Socrates's stance would be on that kind of um, idea. Mm. I'm wondering if he'd be critical of it, whether he'd be saying, um, you, you can describe what we're made of as much as you want, mate, but that's not the highest order of reality because it still doesn't tell you what the form is, what the unchangeable form of a thing is. It's kind of hard though, because um, you can argue that almost for uh, for anything though, right? Because if you can dispel any physical evidence or whatever by just sort of saying, "Well, it's in the physical world," you know, um, talk to me about the um, the real reality, which you is unobservable. Um, how do you do that? You know what I mean? I mean, only through the path of enlightenment, uh, as I think. Socrates sort of says further on, you know, uh, yeah. unless you've been through all these studies, there's no point in me talking about it because you wouldn't recognize it anyway, pleb. Um, so um, <laughs> I know it's kind of a hard thing because you're kind of in a no-win situation because it's how are you ever going to be able to describe anything then, you know? But I guess that's the problem, right? Because you're in the physical world, yeah? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah, and I think you're right, and, and and it comes up later in in what we've read tonight. Like, it, um, there's an odd. He does. He starts. Maybe I'll wait till we get to that point. But <laughs> so, but there's a there's a. Um, I think you're onto something, Lockham. There's a uh, compatibility issue with his hierarchical system and that of the physicist. So the the the. Uh, what can I say? The, so the the Brian Cox of the world uh, would argue that the laws of physics is the the top, the, the highest the order of knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and then from that, all things are formed, and all things come into being, and all things have their place, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um. So he's. His uh, system has no scope for going beyond that level. Um, whereas you mean Brian Cox? So the physicist system in that? Yeah, it doesn't have has the no scope. Yeah, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but I feel no, no, no. You're not. That's I think that's perfect. I think I'm tracking with what you're saying. Yeah, I think the the system that they apply, or the scientific system that they apply, has no scope uh, to go outside of the senses. Because it's built on the senses. Maybe, but maybe, you know, like when he was talking about um, 
I think like astronomy and stuff in general. And he's saying, I mean, there's still some level of observation here because he's talking about trying to understand the the movements and the uh, perhaps like harmony of the universe and stuff in that how it interacts and and all that sort of thing. So there's still, yeah. You know, even with his explanation, he's still sort of talking like partly about observation, right? Hmm. Um, but it, it's like he's sort of pointing out that there's stuff even that is going to be happening that, that maybe you can't observe, right? You're not going to be able to see with your eyes. And in some senses, he's right. And if you talk to somebody maybe like a Brian Cox or someone, you know, like they found things like, you know, black holes, which were a theoretical thing, which couldn't be observed. Um, but it's been proven in you know that they they do exist but mm. at a time previously like they couldn't be observed and understood in that sort of sense but still yeah. there was like theory which is probably that higher level that, that he's maybe talking about and that's where it's kind of linking that that higher level of maths and science into that higher level of your understanding and soul searching i, may, I mean I, I don't know if i'm drawing the right conclusions no, i follow there, you but... i follow you like another example is um the god particle that got predicted it took them a long time before they found it um so you know absolutely i i follow um i just wonder where if i wonder if socrates would just continue though to just keep saying that that's still the physical it's still the physical it's still the physical what's beyond the physical yeah. and um i suspect and, 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 he would but then but then is the answer physics you know is the answer that the Brian cox would say well the the um the theories that we have are what you're searching for because the theories describe the 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 force behind these physical things happening yeah the unobservable yeah, see, I, I sus- yeah i suspect and it's all speculation i guess but i suspect that yeah socrates's position would be no that's still just the physical there is something above that and i think lachlan hit on it earlier the question then is, well, okay, maybe there is something beyond that, but I mean, we're dealing with things that we can observe. You know, these are empirical things. You're talking about something that we can't observe empirically. How do we really know there is that higher level, that higher order knowledge? We're just relying on what you're telling. And in fact, in this in this story, in this in in the in the dialogue, he then goes on with Glaucon, what I was referring to just a moment ago. And Glaucon goes because they get to because they get to the section of dialectic, which yeah. So they go through they go through um what is it they go they go through they're going to go on for after astronomy they go into harmony whatever, um and then he goes basically says so once they've done all this training there's a higher level technique and it's called dialectic, and then Glaucon says oh that's amazing, tell me how this dialectic work and Socrates just goes you can't follow me there man. Yeah. He's like, like he's not not because I'm unwilling, but it would take longer than um you know, it would take longer than what we've already discussed. It'd take another ten books or whatever, maybe twenty. <laughs> yeah. Um and then it's it, the the question at that point is then all right, so at this point you're talking about some esoteric knowledge that you've got access to because you've allegedly been outside the cave. Why am I even listening to you? And that's kind of what I'm getting at. That's that's the question. It's like, yeah, all right, we've, we've got all this empirical knowledge. It's pretty solid. It's really good. It's got great predictive power. Um, there might be something above that, but I mean, how do you know? And why well, do we and care? You, but you, 
the allegory of the cave would show that you wouldn't believe it anyway, even if someone showed it to you. Yeah, isn't that kind of a catch-22, though? It's almost like totally. a catch-22 or almost like a... It's almost, And when you consider that Socrates is sitting there trying to explain that people like him should be ruling society, it's almost, it's, it's starting to sound almost like a, like the really, I guess the really negative way to look at it is it's like basically like a cop-out. He's like saying, no, 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 you got to let me people, people like me rule society because we see the real truth and you can't see the truth. And no matter what I tell you, you won't see the truth. So just do as I tell. Like it, that's, it, it's that's pretty much uncharitable like the, I mean, I way to look pretty- at it. Yeah, oh, look, I don't think he's telling you to suck it, but like he sort of is. Um, <laughs> I, I guess like, yeah, it, it, that's exactly how what he's doing though. Like he, he is sort of saying that, you know, you're not going to be able to understand this, but these people that we can show the light to will understand it and they're the only ones who are capable of leading us. They won't be able to tell you why though, but they've seen, <laughs> and no matter they've what seen more... They've seen things, man, and uh, you know you just can't get your head around it. So you're just gonna have to trust me. <laughs> just hand yeah, over the really reins. Like it's really just kind of esotericism. Yeah. Look, I look, look personally. Truth be told, my I'm actually on Socrates' side here. I, mm. I agree with him. I think there is that higher level reality, but the way he's presented it at this point in history, in this dialogue, I think there are reasonable questions as to the validity of what what he's explaining well no, I, and i think the thing is too that he's saying you can't have they, there can't be i'm not saying that there should be multiple realities but what he's saying is like our reality is wrong and the higher reality is right and that's not necessarily something you'd agree with because okay whilst you might sort of say that the eyes and the senses might you know tell a lie so to speak um, at the same time, I think maybe in our mod, more modern world, science has gotten to a degree where there are things that you can sort of lean on as being, you know, rock solid as far as empirical, um, other things, which are still theoretical, but I think there is still some truth in some of that. I mean, he's got kind of a foot each way because I mean, he still wants the science and all that sort of thing, but he just kind of thinks that that's the gateway to help you understand. Yeah. But I, I, think, I think the scientist uh, would have a similar argument. I recall watching um, one of the Brian Cox documentaries where he did this uh, experiment showing where particles fall and they use this board that's got slots in it. And he's like... Oh, the double the double slit experiment. Yeah. And he's like, it should land this way. Like our, our minds tell us it should go through this way. But it doesn't. It does a different thing, and uh, I, I think that would be like his his ex- explanation right now of there's this other understanding or, or not. I don't know if reality is quite the right word, but this other comprehension or, or whatever it is. I think scientists would probably agree with him, um, but they would mm. say that that's found through the study of um, things such as physics. Um, that that I look, act in a way that we don't expect, but that the scientific method then demonstrates we didn't expect it to act that way, but it acted this way, and we know that's true because it's based on the scientific method. Yeah, I think um, we're probably like going to really get into the weeds if we start talking about quantum physics. But I think the significance <laughs> of that experiment 
from my understanding, which is really limited, I'm, I'm looking at some shadows on the wall right now, um, <laughs> is the significance of that is that it appears that um, reality bends to observation. So it, it takes observation and then the observation affects the outcome. Mm. Um, that's, I mean, anyway, so you were going to say something, Lachlan. Ignore my rambling. Uh, no, 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 that's all good. That's a good. I, I can't remember where I was going with, but, uh, I, I, well, <laughs> I do you think, do you break. think this is why Socrates takes it to the example of truth to try and get Glaucon to understand? Because he moves on and says, um, and, and you would say the same of the conception of the good. So I might just read that bit. Maybe sure. that helps. So until the person is able to abstract and define rationally the idea of good, and unless he can run the gauntlet of all objections and is ready to disprove them, not by appeals to opinion, but to absolute truth, neither faltering at any step of the argument, unless he can do all this, you would say that he knows neither the idea of good nor any other good. He apprehends only a shadow, if anything at all, which is given by opinion and not by science. Dreaming and slumbering in this life before he is well awake here, he arrives at the world below and has his final quietus. I don't think I said that last word right. How do you say that? Q-U-I-E-T-U-S. Is it coitus? No, <laughs> it's not his final coitus. <laughs> he got to the root of the problem. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> Um, no, you lost. I, yeah, I didn't really follow that quote at all. What are you saying? To find out my book. Oh, I thought he was using the example of good to try and explain roughly what what he was on about. In that, you know, until you fully understand good completely by pursuing it um, and being able to abstract and define rationally the idea of what good is, then you've yeah. got. You've got no chance of even recognizing or understanding what good is. Well, because I yeah. think that was an earlier criticism he had in the the last book or chapter or what have you that we read, where um, you know he said you know if you ask somebody to define it, uh, what were they saying? Oh, uh, good is truth, and they say, oh, what is truth? Oh, truth is good, and they just had this circular mm. uh, circular sort of argument where no one actually knew what they were talking about. Uh, right. And so I think he's just sort of saying, like, unless you did fully understand that, you know, there's, you know, what leg have you got to stand on to tell anyone what you think is good if, if you can't understand it all and explain it all from, from the get-go? Now, I want to open a can of worms here. Um, <laughs> Please do. Yeah, so buckle up. So this this whole thing of once you're enlightened and you come back, you get rejected by everybody, um, that sounds like a very... Um, New Testament idea of once you become a Christian, the world will hate you. And I know it's also an idea that's taught in other religions as well, that once you subscribe to that religious system, that those who you were amongst before will reject you because they can't understand and they don't get it. Um, so um, my my point is, or thought is, um, when we read this, we think, oh, that makes sense. 
does it make sense because it's true of seeking truth and philosophy or does it make sense because when you have a substantial change in your belief system and how you uh, see the world and then return to where you were prior to that change that you generally speaking get rejected by the larger group because of that change do you get what i'm trying to say no i think it's just that philosophers lack uh charisma because if they had charisma they'd have a cult following them (laughs) (laughs) that's very if you think about it like i mean how many cults have been formed by people who claim to have found a new truth and a new reality um yeah heaps and and yeah yeah, for sure and um it's just i think that their leaders have a certain amount of charisma and you know obviously living in a falsehood though right where i suppose philosophy is trying not coming from that angle um i don't know i guess it depends on whether those uh, cult leaders actually believe what they're saying or if um if um it's just invented for for fame followers and power or something like that but um but i don't know like it certainly does happen people people come up with this sort of stuff you're not wrong though i mean uh there's going to be people who reject it but i think i don't know maybe the world's big enough now that there's going to be enough people who find them and uh latch on to it you know yeah. they, they want the matrix to be real so they want to believe in something else so, um... <laughs> you take the blue pill yeah are you um I don't know, but oh, I'm just trying to understand what you're you're saying, Tim. Um, is basically what you're saying is any any okay? I, I guess it presupposes that only very few people access these fundamental truths. So anyone who accesses this fundamental truth, um, are essentially going to not be accepted or, or sort of understood by the people that they used to associate with. Is that kind of what you're saying? Let me try and put it to words. So, uh, so- Socrates is describing a rejection of those who have found this new understanding of the light, so to speak. My, my question is, He's saying that the rejection is a result of you discovering this light and people not being able to uh, comprehend what you're saying and finding you strange and all those types of things. Um, but I, th- I think I have an example. Is, Sorry. My, hold, hold on to it. My point is... Yeah. Um, is... He's describing a reaction and applying that that reaction happens because of A. But my my thought is, is that correct? Or is it just the normal reaction when someone from a tribe or someone from a culture of thinking has a massive change in their perception of their um, value system and their hierarchy? Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, then, well, if that's, yeah, then I agree. You're right. Yeah, I think that is the natural reaction when you go against, because essentially what you're describing is going against the accepted order of things. Yeah. So aren't you all, you're always going to have that reaction, aren't you? Well, largely. Well, that, that's my point. So it, I, I don't quite understand 
um, what he's getting at with that point because to me it's not unique to someone who's discovered philosophy it's it's the normal reaction from a tribe when someone from within the tribe decides that everything the tribe's doing and values is wrong yeah i mean look uh yeah whenever you challenge your social norms um you're going to come up against resistance i 100 percent agree with you um, well isn't that kind of what is, isn't that kind of what he's just like he's kind of combat he's essentially saying yes you're going to have a reaction so here's the way that you could structure society so that reaction wouldn't occur and people would live within what Socrates is saying is the truth. Yeah, you might be right. Hmm. But he's also just, and he admits it sort of further on that he's being defensive and that he's frustrated yep. because of how the philosophers are perceived. And so, I mean, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit here, but I mean, he's kind of slightly apologetic for the fact that he's gone so hard on this because he's yeah just frustrated that you know they're either looked at like they're lunatics or they're just useless sycophants sucking up to whoever's going to uh you know pay them the most attention or whatever it is yeah i don't think you're jumping too far ahead because it's the next page for me that part um (laughs) so so you're onto it anyway it was just a thought i had i don't know if it's particularly exciting or relevant but it just occurred to me that um, mm. you know, I hear those stories quite often when people talk about converting to Christianity, and um, I just thought, oh, well, that's the same sort of reaction. And then I thought about it a little bit more of what other examples are there outside of philosophy and Christianity, and and I just thought, well, it's a com- it seems to be a common reaction regardless of what new discovery you find for people to treat you that way. Um, I mean, you'll find well, it in the business world, even if you want to go and change your company culture or something. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it all in all sort of different planes of human interaction. I think. Well, the mm. the example I thought of, um, um, yeah, that's that's actually a good point. Sorry, Lachlan, you're right. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't, I haven't worked in the business world like you, but I, that makes sense. But I've seen it also in my work where someone wants to change things and everyone's just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Change, change. Um, yeah. um, yes. Sorry. I, um, no, no, the example I thought of, um, uh, just as I mentioned earlier, um, it, particularly with the Christian example, and it kind of ties into his explanation of where you go back into the cave once you've seen the light and um, people don't understand you anymore. What I, I, where I've run up against that is the idea of forgiveness. Um, like, I've said to people in the past where they're just like um, X, Y, and Z, they've done this and I'm really upset with them. And now I want to do this. And when you say to them, um, there's a way out of this, you could forgive them. Hmm. And like forgiveness is a very Christian concept and people who have not considered that or are not Christian or are not in tune with that. When you say things like that to them, their response is they do that. They don't even look at you with disgust. They just look at you with a total, um, oh, I've seen it with some people. I'm not talking about everyone. With some people, they look at you with like a total like sign of disbelief. So I kind of like, it just, just <laughs> like, where like, did that like, come what, from? Like, what do you, yeah. what do you mean? You can just forgive someone that makes no sense. And, and, and they're right. It, it does make no sense. And I, so I can mm. kind of sort of see what you're saying and I can sort of relate. 
African sort of thing. Maybe that's what Socrates is talking about when you when people have gone back into the cave. And I'm not suggesting that because I believe in forgiveness that I've been outside the cave and I'm 100% right. I'm just illustrating sometimes when you get yeah. two worldviews that butt up against each other, um, that there's just this real divide that just sort of can't be crossed. Like mm. it, it is like you're talking a different language sometimes. Well, we just talked mm. about work. Strangely, um, one of the reasons that Socrates talks about in a minute is uh, because of uh, people having no vocation. <laughs> so they yeah. start talking about um, choose, choosing the, the person that's going to use the dialectic. Mm. And um, uh, yeah, you're right. He kind of wraps it up and he says, these are your different levels of education. This is what you have to go through. And he actually gives time frames, doesn't he? Is that the bit you're talking about? Yeah, well, yeah, he does do that. Um, but before, so we'll just say, okay. Um, da, 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 da. The team of the Here we go. So I'll, I'll read this part. Dialectic then, as you will agree, uh, is the coping stone of the sciences and is set over them. No other science can be placed higher. The nature of knowledge can go no further. I agree, he said. But to whom we are to assign these studies and in what way are they to be assigned are questions which remain to be considered. Yes, clearly. You remember, I said, how the rulers were chosen before? Certainly, he said. The same natures must still be chosen and the preference given to the surest and the bravest, and if possible, to the fairest. And having noble and generous tempers, they should also have the natural gifts which will facilitate their education. And what are these? Such gifts as keenness and ready powers of acquisition, for the mind more often faints from the severity of study than from the severity of gymnastics. The toil is more entirely the mind's own and is not shared with the body. Very true, he replied. Further, he of whom we are in search should have a good memory and be unwearied, solid man, who is a lover of labour in any line, or he will never be able to endure the great amount of bodily exercise and to go through all the intellectual discipline and study which we require of him. Certainly, he said, he must have natural gifts. The mistake at present is that those who study philosophy have no vocation, and this, as I was saying before, is the reason why she has fallen into disrepute. Her true sons should take her by the hand and not bastards. <laughs> I found that really funny. He's like, real philosophers need to have jobs. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, he sort of um, talks about it a little bit further on too, just about the fact that they kind of need real life experience. Um, and maybe, you know, that's that whole thing about balance that they're talking about sort of earlier in there about, you know, the, the whole things about, having a wholeness rather than just like, you know, focusing on one particular thing. I've often thought um, over the last few months doing this show and, and starting to get into philosophy over the last few years, I keep thinking, man, should I be doing this? Like, you know, I, I've got a job, I've got this, I've got that. Um, but I read that to, uh, today and I was like, ah, oh, uh, Socrates would agree with me having a vocation <laughs> so I can I can have a job and also study some philosophy so that was my takeaway from this week uh, <laughs> philosophers aren't lifelong uni student bums they have jobs 
Yeah, this is kind of the bit where they start to, to break down all those ages and the uh, time spent, isn't it? So, um, yeah, so um, at 35... Oh, sorry, before... sorry, I don't mean to drag things out. Are you right? um, but before we jump, we sort of skipped over their idea of dialectic. They actually describe what dialectic oh, yeah, sorry. is and what it means. All right, um, um, do, you wanna, the... do you want to read that bit out? Well, I'll, I'll just try to summarise it. Right, they, they've kind of said... Uh, after they do all these different sets of training, then they'll go to dialectic and dialectic is supposed to be the highest form of the highest way to knowledge. That's a bit we referred to earlier where, um, where Glaucon says, Oh, dialectic, tell me about how this works. And Socrates kind of says, no, nah, you can't, you can't go there, bro. Um, <laughs> um, but basically what he's saying about like the simplest way I can think of to describe what he's talking about dialectic is that it's basically pure reason it's like the highest and the, 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 the best form of knowledge. Um, it doesn't accept presuppositions. Um, it doesn't, it, it doesn't accept presumptions, um, because it's like pure logic, pure reason. And, um, it gets you to the real truth. And he's saying that's kind of what happens outside the cave. That's the best way I can think to describe it. Um, I don't know whether you guys have any thoughts on that, but that's kind of where he goes with that. And that is supposed to be the final level of training that they give to these philosopher kings. Yeah, I just looked up the definition um, from of a dialectic, and it just basically. Oh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop you there. That this yeah. is going to get us into the weeds. <laughs> Which definition did you look up? Okay, let's go. Oh. I, I can't remember, but it was pretty basic. And, and really all it just sort of said was that it was uh, someone who is um, skilled in debate, but it was debate in the pursuit of truth. And it, it was okay. that simple. Yeah. That's, Which I think, yeah. that's not bad. Di and sometimes yeah, simple is good, no, right? Dialect, <laughs> yeah. Di dialectic, uh, the direct translation means um, a conversation. But uh, the difficulty is it's gone through different iterations throughout history. And yeah. when Socrates talks about dialectic, it means something different to when Aristotle uses the term dialectic. Right, and then right, right. to further complicate things, when you get into modern philosophy, there's um, Hegelian, Hegelian dialectic, which is almost like this idea that you've got a push-pull between different ideas and what's in the middle is your final um, is your final thing, and that is the truth. And then after Hegel, you've got Marx and you've got, uh, materialist, uh, materialistic dialectic, um, material <laughs> dialectics, which is basically like um, uh, similar to the Hegelian dialectic, but it only talks about material um, drivers like economics and physics and things like that. So uh, that when, <laughs> the, sorry, that's why when you said I looked up a definition of um, dialectic, I was like, whoa, 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 let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been uh yeah very good since it was in the uh in the stream of uh the socratic uh, meeting so there you go oh, oh, that was a, right, yeah nice. it must have been an old school definition yeah well i mean I, I i actually made a note for tonight's episode i don't think we should go there but i thought it'd be interesting to discuss um <laughs> the, the socratic socratic idea of dialectic versus the um marxist version of dialectic in the context yeah. of the cave but uh yeah no it's just it's gonna drag it out i feel like that's a whole episode <laughs> on itself that one yeah probably mm. well there, there was another word that i sort of came across and you forgive me i've been just sort of like scanning through my notes to try and find it um it came on a little bit further on there <clears throat> saying that people were uh heuristic and i hadn't sort of come across that before you know how i love to to dig into the, the meaning of words 
Um, and so that, that was saying that was somebody who um, seeks argument aimed at winning rather than the seeking of truth, which I thought was like almost a direct opposite. Um, yeah. The dialectic sort of definition. Yeah. Good segue. Good segue, yeah. bro, because this is the bit I was referring to right at the start that I thought maybe I should apply <laughs> to myself. Um, but yeah, Socrates <laughs> does bring up that, um, and this is why we shouldn't throw the youth into, into philosophy. He says we want them to yeah. go through all these other stages of learning first. We want them to have that life experience, then hit the dialectic, and then go back and get a job, and then come mm. out and become a, a leader. Um, but he says, yeah, the, this is interesting. The re, he says the reason for this is that um, when you teach the young this idea of dialectic, they just want to use it to prove other people wrong. And yeah. what will happen is they'll prove other people wrong, and other people will prove them wrong, and then they'll basically reach reach this side this this stage of skepticism where they're like, well, I don't know what's true. Sometimes mm. I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. Who knows what's true? Uh, and then they throw philosophy out the window, or they use philosophy as basically just I'm just going to use it to prove whatever. Which is, I think, that word that you're describing. What was it? Heuristic or something? Or heuristic. Uh, heuristic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what they're talking about. Um, yeah, just saying that they're going to uh, argue everything and by doing so they lose sight of what they should be going after, which is truth. But uh, That's right. What is he, he refers to them as puppies. You know, how puppies just want to tear everything apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they get their first taste of blood and then they want to tear everything apart. <laughs> I like that analogy. So, it's really good. Yeah, so the reason I had a chuckle at that is because like, I'm, I'm walking around during the week and I'm like, yeah, the particular versus the truth. And then someone will say something and I'm like, you're just focused on the particular man. And then I'm like, oh, hang on. Am I just a puppy? Just a puppy. I, just want to, I just want to use this to prove people wrong. <laughs> See, I, I grew up um, like the, the, the oppositional defiance disorder is strong in my gene pool. <laughs> and um we we love arguing for the sake of the argument and um yeah even my mum we'd be arguing sometimes i'd just keep talking back talk back and she'd hold up you know maybe three fingers and go how many fingers am i holding up and even that i'd try and argue like no <laughs> four and even though she's holding up three because you know you're still holding your hand up and there's there's a fourth finger there and a thumb you know <laughs> and she'd be like it's three so you know, so he's right, three. isn't he? It's a three. And um, well, yeah, I mean, thank God I didn't have a dialectic in my tool belt. <laughs> my poor mother would have been, oh my God. So. She would have held up those fingers and you would have gone straight to book seven. Yeah. And you would have been like... <laughs> well, that's one finger, been... but they're, they're all fingers. <laughs> what is are a finger? Are they fingers or are they tentacles? Yeah. yeah. I think she might have been giving you one finger at that point in time. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, my mum would never give me the finger, <laughs> but she'd prob- she probably she probably would have got cranky. That's for sure. <laughs> but the frustration um, would be strong. <laughs> uh, so I think he's I think he's right on point. Like strangely, I've turned forty this year, and this is maybe in the last six months I'm learning like at work to not fight every battle. Yeah, and in my marriage, I've maybe learnt that four years ago maybe five years ago and even only only recently maybe in the last two months so here's a funny story which is a direct result of this book uh i was having an argument with my wife a few weeks ago and um 
I realized part way through the argument that I'd been a bit of a jerk and I was wrong and I just started laughing <laughs> and I could see it really through my wife for six poor thing because she had no idea why I was laughing and I just and I just started laughing I, said, I just realized I was wrong I just realized that I've been an idiot I'm sorry <laughs> and it was this book that just taught me to like no you're wrong like just stop stop being a goose and just let it go and just admit that you don't know actually I was wrong about that <laughs> And, uh, yeah, you know, so yeah, middle aged. I think I think he's under something with these age periods, which we'll explore. You think his time frames are spot on? Well, I think so. He's, he's like you know, learn it at thirty five or thirty. Learn it at thirty, and then at thirty five, go back to work and stay there for another fifteen years. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's like yeah, until you're yeah. fifty, and then you when you're fifty, you're 50 okay, then, you then, can... then you can come out and play with the dialectic. Well, actually, he says. <laughs> If they survive until they're 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they are warriors too, I suppose. That's right. Well, yeah, the survival rate probably wasn't as good as it is now. But yeah, I, I, I thought that was funny too, Ruben, that if they survive moment. But anyway, so you've got to be 50. Before you can yeah. be a leader, but you've got to be 30 before you learn dialectic. It's, mm. you know... It, it actually does make some sense when you think about it, because when I think about myself and and I wouldn't talk down to anyone younger than me, absolutely, because everyone goes through different stages of life. But um, I think up until I was 30, probably my understanding of the world was pretty narrow. And you know, it's, it's like you sort of pointing out, there's a certain amount of life experience that broaden your horizons a bit and um you know those moments when you do realize you're wrong and maybe you need to change your tact a little bit um but i think he's pretty he's not too bad with his uh with his time frames he's got there i'd be really curious to see you know now with with me at you know at 40 and then looking back in 10 years to think about you know maybe how much i've learned between 40 and 50 and uh you know maybe still thinking um I had a long way to go, you know, <laughs> when I think about myself well, looking yeah. back at 30 now, you know what I mean? I mean, that's life, right? You're always learning. Yeah. If we keep working on uh, Socratic dialogues, we'll still be working on Socrates by the time you get to that point. Yeah. No, but, no I, I think I agree totally with you guys. Um, yeah, I reckon, although I wouldn't even say 30, I'd say maybe it wasn't, uh, maybe I'm being too hard on myself, but I reckon it wasn't until I was 35 until I actually started thinking. <laughs> isn't that doesn't that align with the part of the male brain that can um interpret risk i remember reading something about that that it's like in your 30s is when you start to actually have have the mature brain of as, as a man it comes into play earlier for the ladies yeah as usual, yeah, the, yeah. the men lag behind with that um yeah like i don't know what the time frames are but you're right but that's what they reckon yeah it's like all those memes that they sort of show about, uh, you know, uh, why men don't live as long as women. And they show all these like uh, dumb things that we're doing, like, <laughs> like hold my beer. Like that. That's just like the sentiment of uh, <laughs> dumb stuff that we do. <laughs> yeah, the hold my beer is hilarious. All those types yeah. of memes. So, all right, well, let's keep going. So we're up to, we're almost at the end. Well, so basically we should say, sorry, when they sort of uh, hit 50 and they're, um, you know, basically going back into 
putting service back into the state, right? That's that's what they're doing because they've, you know, had that life experience, they've had the dialectic, um, educational, that sort of thing. Now they're putting it all, that's everything they've learned in their life. Now they're putting into practice in the running of the state. And that's the that sort of core concept of bringing them back in at that point. Um, and that, you know, once they've lived a virtuous life and, uh, you know, maintain the ideals of the state, um, then they, I don't know, get a state funeral or something like that and being held in high esteem as, as such as like a, I don't know, like famous general or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd be given the highest honours that the society can, can bestow on you because that's in the Socratic universe, the highest achievement that you could sort of possibly have is that now you're a philosopher. After a life of hard toil, you've a, a, attained the rank and, uh, you know, maintained our perfect society. And just, just on that, um, at the end there, Socrates, the feminist, appears again. Yes, indeed. Yep. Yep. So he goes, uh, you, you, so he's like, oh, what do you think of these? And he's like, oh, you are a sculptor, Socrates. You have made statues of our governors faultless in beauty. He goes, yes. I said, Glaucon, and of our governesses too. For you must not <laughs> suppose that what I've been saying applies to men only and not to women as far as their natures can go. Right, you are. Uh, sorry, there you are right, since we have made them to share in all things like the men. So, I thought that was funny. Yeah, I don't but know there's still that little there's still that little jab that Socrates puts in the end of that sentence there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so let me read that again. So, yes, I said, Glaucon, and of our governesses too. But you must not suppose that what I've been saying applies to men only and not to women as far as their natures go. <laughs> I'm like, whoa! <laughs> So he's like straight away, about? feminist, jerk. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, I don't know why we don't hear more feminists quoting um, Socrates, but you're right. Maybe it's that little jab at the end. Of I think it's a little jab at the end. He's still like, <laughs> within reason. I'm like, oh man. Yeah. I, it's two and a half thousand years ago. I mean, we can't cancel the guy for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, particularly when he's right. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, 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 wow. <laughs> you may direct all mail and complaints to <laughs> big groups yeah. at hotmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> Come at me. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway, oh, and um, we crept into chapter eight. Uh, um, it, I reckon it flowed just the, the, a little bit longer, didn't it? Yeah, but I think I think chapter eight can function as a, a yeah. kicking off point next week so we can just leave it there if you want i think so, Chuck, so we, sorry go yeah i was just gonna say just before we get on there i don't know if you guys noticed there's like a little paragraph right as i was sort of wrapping up the end of chapter seven that i had to have a chuckle at um they're talking about how they were going to uh make this proceed and sort of come into fruition this this state then oh, says, oh yeah this is it? pretty bad this is yeah. pretty bad. No, go, yeah, go. This yeah, go is, for I it, forgot go about this. This is bad. Well, I, don't, I don't have the full quote there, but it was just something like, oh, you know, we'll just send all of the inhabitants, uh, you know, out of the state and any, any anyone who's over 10 years old and we'll keep their children and we'll teach them the way of the state. <laughs> and uh, that way we'll just get the changes to happen as quickly as possible and then everyone will be happy. Yeah. Like, how are we going to make this work? Yeah, easy. We'll just kidnap all the ten-year-olds and we'll indoctrinate we'll them, and we'll be fine. You know, we'll you know. Unrelated, <laughs> well, kind of related. Last night I watched the new, well, newish Black Widow movie, and mm. uh, you know, spoiler alert. Um, 
that's kind of what happens in that is they grab all these girls who are like four to eight or four to ten years old and train them in this new um you know assassination mentality so it's kind of the same thing it's um right. just grab the kids and mold the soft little minds into uh, yeah. this this new way of living and away they go so mm. Mm. yeah well i mean I it's kind of what um both the nazis and the communists tried to do i mean they didn't kidnap yeah. the kids but they did try to take some real strict actions in what they did with the uh education of children so i mean sure. yeah you're not maybe they're taking a page Maybe they're taking a page from Plato. Uh, look, it would make complete sense, right? Because uh, you think about the Republic and like, that's exactly what you, you would have had these, you know, dictators thinking about is how am I going to establish my Republic? They might have some yeah. differing opinions on what that's going to look like at the end and what the ultimate happiness might be. But Yeah, and Hitler's playbook was basically the same book, that's, uh, book that Caesar used. Like when you look oh. at it, the moves were actually very similar so yeah all right well let's quickly mosey on to the pub for lots of us sure. here it is on your screen uh, and the jingle uh, all right so the pub for lots of us without notice the topic for today is a parenting question uh history at what point so I, I've made a decision um, over the coming months. I'm going to show my son the World War Two in color documentary. Oh, which I'm going to start showing him history because my concern mm. is um, there's a lot of things that get discussed in high school and without having an understanding of the events of the Great Wars uh, and, and different times in the last one to 200 years, um, it's going to seem a bit odd or it has opportunity to be misunderstood and the, the reason I got to there was um, I think you guys remember I was, we went to a musical not that long ago um, where they were talking about what happened when 9-11 happened and uh, the, I noticed there were kids in the audience watching this musical and it occurred to me that if my kids were there they don't have the context of the event of 9-11 itself so they're watching a play of the impact of 9-11 happening to all these different people. And particularly one of the characters in the play was uh, a Muslim person who was peaceful and, and a nice guy and all those things, but how his life changed as a result of 9-11, but no context of actually what was 9-11, what happened. Um, mm. And it occurred to me, oh, kids watching that could take away the complete wrong message because they're missing the context of that event. Um, so right. I thought, okay, I've got to make sure that when my kids go to high school and start learning about these grown-up ideas, um, that they have the context. So if they see someone say, oh, that person's a Nazi, you know, what does that actually mean? What were the Nazis really? You know, and what was that war? And that's just as an example. But so, you know, I, I'm going to do the whole, let's watch the World War II in colour. Um, and then work through some other history as well, not just war, but some other history. Are you worried that the curriculum is just going to be too revisionist or and and gloss over stuff, or not necessarily? I just uh, I hadn't really thought about that to be honest. But it's more just context. I think 
I'd I'd rather like the the um I remember seeing on my old computer my four eight six back in the day the blimp disaster that caught on fire and the news presenter going the, the humanity the humanity you know um, I remember watching that with my parents next to me and um, they were able to explain to me what happened and um, you know oh that you know this happened and that's why I'm saying this and and um, so I remember then when I saw that example at school I already knew about it it didn't shock me to like oh why haven't I been told about this and hmm. you know I felt better prepared I don't know like I'm yeah. just so what do you think I mean I'll start with you Lachlan uh, how much like have you have you gone into any of those types of sort of dark side of humanity topics with your kids at this point in time <laughs> yeah sort of but um maybe not that that dark but certainly like concepts of um politics economies and the reality of i don't know that people aren't always out for the betterment of everybody else sometimes they're out for the betterment of themselves and at the sacrifice of others um mm. we, we we talk about some it's, it's funny it's uh a time when my son and i this is my eldest son i should say because he's 11 it's a similar similar age and um i guess when we're in the car on the way to like soccer training or something it just tends to be him and i in the car we often talk about really uh somewhat adult concepts it's quite funny that just seems to be a time when we we talk about stuff i haven't thought too much about um going over um history and stuff but we certainly talk about real shit though <laughs> we yeah, we yeah. get into it sometimes and i know uh, we were talking just in the car about um god what was it um designed obsolescence and like you know that people would design things to break on purpose so you have to buy another one right and he was like yeah. struggling to get his head around the concepts and he's like that's <laughs> right. they're like ripping people off and it's like really bad for the environment and it's you know this and it's wasteful and, and i was like yes it's all of these things you know and uh um we, but we talked about why people do it and that it really sort of exists and but like just that's just one sort of example but we'll do that about politics or whatever else so so yeah look i, I guess i do do it um i don't know we always had like discussions like that when uh uh when i was a kid and particularly my grandfather was around or something we'd finish dinner and we'd talk about politics or what was happening in the world and um i don't know i was always privy to pretty adult important i think discussions and stuff as part of our family um when i was younger and so i, I suppose i'd do the same with my son as well yeah okay how about you Ruben? Yeah. what do you think yeah, mate, I have no idea how to tackle that, to be quite honest. Um, I do the best I can with my boys. Um, although Lachlan just touched on something that's really interesting. I remember, I still remember when I was a child, really being interested in um, involving myself in adult conversations. Um, so when my parents would have friends over, they'd have deep conversations. And I don't mean participating, but I mean listening to. And I remember that being something that I really enjoyed. I actually mm. remember going to my parents at some point and going, I enjoy discussion. I think that's what I like doing. Okay. Um, took me till we started this podcast to actually do it. But um, <laughs> it's actually, <laughs> I mean, that's actually something that I enjoy. So I, I, I don't know whether 
whether my boys are going to be like that. I, I, I don't really know how to uh, play it out for them. And to be quite honest, I don't know, really know how to um, tackle the history question either. So you get a lot of I don't knows from me tonight. That's um, all right. Although it did, it did occur to me um, not that long ago that one of the things that worries me is once I'm gone, are my kids going to have the um, skill set to analyze and understand what is right and wrong? Hmm. Um, and so that's something that I think about a lot. Um, and that to me is more important than um, whether they know history or whether they know philosophy or whether they know religion. I just, I want them to be able to do that. I don't know the best way to do that. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I, I, I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, I want to watch some of this history with them um, because they'll see uh, how bad it can get, you know, and, and I'd rather them discover that with me sitting right there with my, my arm around them saying that happened and that could happen again. And, you know, that, that's what's important that, you know, we are slow to anger and why we have forgiveness and why we have our morality that we have and don't take for granted these things. So, um, you know, I'd rather be part of that journey of them discovering how messed up humankind actually can be and, and um, provide some support. I don't know. Yeah, me too, mate. No, I, I agree, hundred percent. It's a question of the best way to do that. I, you know, I think I think that's not a bad idea. Watching a documentary like that, because um, say what you will about the process of learning what's right and wrong, that's not a bad way to at least open up the discussion. Yeah, you know, for some reason, I got this uh, vision in my head of um, I don't know if you remember that movie, uh, The Fifth Element, and yeah. Um, good movie. yeah. And you had uh, Lilu, who is this sort of spiritual being or whatever, and she's trying to understand humanity and she's looking through all the atrocities of, of humankind um, and she can't understand why she should try and save humanity with all the, the horror that's been before. Um, yeah. And just her genuine anguish at, at seeing it and understanding it. So like you can understand why oh, I can understand why you want to try and shepherd him through because it, it's tough stuff. And, yeah. um, uh, it's important that humanity knows the lessons and learns the lessons from the price that these people have paid because, you know, history will repeat itself if people forget the lessons. So it's, it is important. People know about it and they understand the cost. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if history doesn't repeat itself, it certainly rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a good pub session. <laughs> yeah, man. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Um, to those listening, thanks for listening. Um, you can find us on many different podcast networks as well as on the YouTubes, and you can find us at our website at uh, therepublicofmam.com. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. And remember, the Republic.